0: This week's episode is brought to you by The Rulebook. When you absolutely positively cannot know what's going on or what to do in any given situation, make sure to turn to the NHL Rulebook for all your extreme confusion needs. it, fakes it, takes it, scores! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into the Burgundy Radio podcast for October 23rd, 2017. Coming up on the show, the Avs dropped both their games this week, and a bunch of guys to injury. We'll break down the tape and the call-ups, but before we play the whoosh, let's introduce the disembodied voices for the week. Joining as per usual is Earl. How's it going, Earl?
1: It's going good. Hello, friends.
0: And back again is Tiger Vixen. How are you, Jackie? Hello. I'm good. And first time, long time joining the show today is Rudo. Hey, Rudo.
2: How you doing? I'm well myself.
0: All the way back on Tuesday, Avs fall for one of the Nashville Predators. We wanted to know how the team would respond after their loss to Dallas the previous weekend, and the answer turned out to be they would not. They would not respond whatsoever. The game was sloppy, but even through one. And then Nathan McKinnon scores his first of the year on the power play off Roman Yossi's boot, which reminded the Preds what the winning condition is for hockey, and they were unstoppable from then on. This is a trash game by the Avs, no question about it. And then on Thursday, Colorado dropped their first home loss of the season 4-3 to the St. Louis Blues. It was one of the weirdest games I've watched this team play in years. The Shot Connor, the Shot Connor? What's a what's a Shot Connor? The Shot Counter in the second period was 17 to 14, not total, just the period. Carter Hutton decided he was unstoppable, goaltending force, and his own de- defenseman decided to make things fair by riding his back all the way to the faceoff dot, which allowed Blake Como to score. Alexander Kerfoot also got on the board twice. I cannot say the name Kerfoot, it's impossible for me. Um, one of those goals was off a of magic bullshit bounce off a joint in the boards. And then, of course, there was that reviewed goal, which the NHL has since admitted they improperly ruled on, and we'll get to that. But we, can we focus on the rest of the game first? Um, Colorado outshot the Blues 41-28. to Kerfoot had a three-point night. Two of the goals Bernier allowed were extremely high-danger rush chances that were off the far post and in. On the other end of the ice, they just got goalied. I mean, with a couple of millimeters here and there, the Avs could have won this game and instead got killed by fans. Tell me why, because I'm not nearly so down on that performance as everyone else.
1: I mean, I thought they played a pretty good game, as far as overall, there are obviously a couple of players that did not play a good game, and, and we found out about that later. But uh, given that they were basically playing with nine forwards for the second half of the game, um, they really generated a lot of chances. Uh, they took advantage of some really goofy plays, and... Um, you know they should have had a point the nhl admits they were wrong so i mean it, it was a pretty even game i i, I was a fan
3: i think I, it was maybe how it unfolded because they scored first and then they let it i think it was three goals within the span of wasn't it wasn't it like three goals within the span of 5 or 6 minutes something like that or at least two of them were it's just kind of one of those floodgates things that i think a lot of people felt like the game was over before they actually came back and technically tied it. Not really, but technically.
2: Well, the shot counter is nice at 41-28, to 28, but the problem was for the first half of the first period and the first half of the second period, there was no avalanche offense. They had literally zero shot attempts in the first nine minutes of the second period. And then right when you think they're finally getting their feet under them, that's when the two goals inside of a minute of each other came. And from there, it just kind of feels like there's no hope.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the push-pull chart from Natural Stat Trick, you know, you, you see the Avs start to gain a little momentum and then something happens and it starts to peter away and then it starts falling away like off a cliff and then a goal or two goals happen. Um, I mean, the thing I really didn't like was Miko's play right off the bat in the second period. Um, yeah. You know, that, that, that to me was right on the par with Blake Como passing it back on the breakaway last year. I mean, it's just, that was just an open invitation to shoot it. And, you know, he basically passes it back and it gets tipped out of the zone and it's in the back of the Avs net a second later.
0: And deep hurting,
1: and, and yeah, and that just sort of, you know, that tied the game at one, and I, I think that kind of influenced a lot of the way the second period went.
2: It was, it was perfect contrast too, because Stastny comes in on the two on one, rips the shot, and beats Bernier right after Miko passed on the shot and ended yeah. up causing the turnover.
1: I mean, from the exact same place on the opposite end of the ice too. Yeah, just, you're just looking at that
0: like. Ugh. And I'm going to throw an honorary scratch at Rycroft for his breakdown of that play, which was like, look how good the defensive play was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
3: Well, the two guys were wide open on the other side.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Obviously not.
3: (laughs) If the puck puck had made it over there, it would have looked wonderful, but yeah. Yeah.
2: I broke it down in my video a little bit too, and the problem was Rantin pulled up way too early. Like if he had driven deeper into the zone, Petrangelo would have had to come down, and that could have opened up the third man pass. But he pulled up barely at the top of the circle. So, yeah, that was key. I mean, where he, where he pulled up instead
1: of going down to at least the dot and trying that, um, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a million ways that that play could have gone better. Just not don't do what he did, and it would have been fine. Yeah,
2: worst case scenario. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I think that kind of leads into something that we've, at least I've noticed, is just they never shoot the puck. And I know a lot of it's perception, and it never seems like players shoot the puck enough, but it just seems like that is one of the avalanche fundamental issues is nobody wants to shoot it. Everyone wants to make the pass. Why don't they think a, a rebound is just as good as a pass? I, they must talk about it all the time and Bednar wants this attack mentality. Why won't they shoot the puck? What is it? Can, can they fix it? Is it a mentality thing? Is it a they're they're just impressed with the pretty goals they make? What do you guys think it is?
1: Well, I mean, I I think part of it is how difficult it is to score in the NHL. I mean, it's you know, if a goalie's looking right at you, He's probably got a really good chance of saving it. If you can get it cross ice through where the defensemen are and get someone in the back door, it's a it's a guaranteed goal. But it's you know it's just I I, I think <clears throat> when they're weighing that decision, they're 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 weighing the pass way too much as far as chances of success.
0: And I swear versus this
1: actually just shooting
0: it. This team has never heard of a pass off the pads either. I mean they either shoot high, trying to get one through a glove, and it ends up either getting caught or getting chested or rimming around the boards, or they try to pass it through a defender who's just like, okay, well, I'm doing my job, so that's not coming through. I mean, yeah. you, you shoot it low and far side to get a pass off the pads. 20, at least 29 teams do this. Maybe 30. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. if it looks yeah. like the
1: goalie is set up and has a good chance of saving where you are, you know, shoot low. Um, I, I was interested today, actually, in the Rampage game, I saw Duncan shoot low, and it looked like it was on purpose. And it's like obviously someone's been telling the guys to shoot lower because you know the defensemen on the rampage have been—you know—they're they're pretty famous, just like the Avs guys are for for shooting it high into the outside and then having itself rim out. So.
2: Yeah, it, it really feels like that top line of McKinnon and Rantanen and at least haven't quite figured out what their roles are supposed to be. Because McKinnon, if you look at his stats, he's on pace for something like 100 less shots than he had last year, and I know that's a small sample size, but still, you would expect more shots from him, so it seems like he's thinking that Rantanen is going to be the shooter on that line, and then you have Rantanen also constantly looking to pass, and that's how you get Sven Andrigedo as one of the top scorers on the Avalanche.
1: I mean, and and it's not terrible having Sven doing that, because he's got a really good shot too, and, and you know he's been scoring, so that's nice, but... You know, everybody needs to shoot. You just can't say, like, well, he's he's hot. Let's just get it to him. I mean, that's that's
3: sort of a Patrick Waugh mentality to my mind. And we like the pretty goals. It's it's nice when it works, but it just seems like they never go for those dirty goals. Like, how, how many times do you see them all pouncing on a rebound? It, is it because there's never a rebound? Or is it because it's it's hard to get somebody to go to the front of the net? It just seems like... They kind of have one style of offense, and if they can't play that style, they don't know what to do.
0: It's a little of column A, a little of column B, because, I mean, you you need somebody who's going to be in front of the net. And the Avalanche have a couple of names that are on that list. Uh, one of them is Colin Wilson, who's been on the struggle bus. And one of them is J.T. Comfer, who's in the infirmary now. So, I mean, it's you don't the Avalanche do not have that many um crease-type players who are just going to go in there and bang home the trash. And, and maybe that's something that more of them need to be spending more time doing. Um, I know that um, that Duchesne has scored a lot of his goals just by kind of being in the crease-type area, not necessarily in the, uh, in the Sean Avery spot, but in the crease-type area, and just looking for something to send back home on the way back out.
1: Well, Kerfoot's goal on the power play was like that. He was basically cleaning up something that was dirty on the ice.
2: Well, initially it was Comfer, though. He was the one right in yeah. front.
0: right. It was a, the secondary rebound that, there, uh, that was able to, to actually get through with Kerfoot. There's the name. Holy crap. <laughs> I was like, sitting there yelling at myself in my head, don't say Miko. that's not the right
3: name. I think Kerfoot had a goal like that in preseason. It might have been one of those games that nobody was allowed to watch, but... <laughs> um, he had another one of those where he he used his hands right there, right, right by the net. And I think he like flipped it over the goalie. So, so we need more of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, who do we, who else do we put there? I mean, the, the obvious name for, for me at least is Landeskog. Um, that, yeah, that, definitely people want to name Ransanen for that because of his size. I'm not convinced he's that kind of a player yet.
3: He I think it's something it, it's they. Not
0: as,
1: yeah, he can do it, but it's not as, that, That's not his forte.
3: I think going going to the net and going for rebounds is something they all can do. I don't. Right. I don't think it's just um, reserved for the guys that play a heavier game. Things like that. I, maybe that's the problem: is they all don't think that they're the ones that go for the rebounds.
2: Right, and when you look at Curva, you don't have to be parked in front of there, necessarily. Like, you can cut in. When you see a shot's coming, you crash the net.
0: How many did uh, Nick Holden score just by doing that on the power play? By seeing that the someone about to shoot from the other side and then crashing down and grabbing that rebound.
2: Exactly.
3: So, a little more of that. And shoot the puck more, too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, quit, quit passing backwards. It's enough.
3: I mean, they
1: I
2: had frequent
0: shots in that game, though.
2: The power play did look good, too. The power, oh play, the power was play was a great fit. spot, Fantastic.
0: for sure. Yeah. Yes. And and as we look at that game, as we look at the, like how it came in waves, how the team would have just, like, black holes of suck there for a few minutes at a time. I mean, it, when, when you go in and look at the push-pull chart that Earl referenced, it's really just like a couple of shifts here and there. Like, there would be two shifts where they gave up seven or eight shots and then nothing would happen. And then there'd be another shift where they gave up four or five. And it's just like, in these spurts, there's a couple of moments where the avalanche gets stuck in their zone and give up several shots at once. And then I don't know if they're just like not effectively moving the puck all the way out to the other side of the ice, if they're tired and having to dump and change or what, but it's... It's not like a consistent, you know, giving up shot after shot after shot. It's like barrage and then rest for a minute. And then there's another barrage a couple minutes later when you you just didn't create anything in the middle there. So, I don't know what to think about that, but it is a thing.
2: Definitely need to look at Put control in the defensive zone, for sure. The number of turnovers or failed clears we have is through the roof this year.
1: Yeah, there's there's been some, and it, I, I hate to single out lines, but there might be a line or two that aren't doing their their best job in the defensive zone so far.
0: Go on.
3: <laughs> yeah, who might you be speaking of?
1: <laughs> I, I was going to. I'll just save this for the scratch category. <clears throat> um, but I wanted to go back and reference the power play though, because it really did look for The Blues in their first power play, the one that Kerfoot scored on, um, they had seven scoring chances, seven shot attempts, and all seven hit the net. Um, oh, I thought that's. Me. Yeah, and and that's just unheard of. I mean, it's like, you know, three shot attempts is a pretty good power play.
3: So And they mixed up the personnel on it too, yeah. which I think yeah. helped. I, I just think it was just getting stagnant and they put Comfer and Kerfoot on that on the that unit. And I think that really helped just give it some freshness and I think that helped the puck movement a lot.
1: Yeah, you have to wonder if Ray Bennett just said, "All right, look, I I know this team really well, and and give me the guys that I want for, for tonight, and we'll see how it goes." And it went.
0: I mean, it it may have been something that that Bennett wanted to do for that game only, or it may have been, "Hey, let's let's mix it up," and oh, it just happens to be a bit against St. Louis, but let's let's mix it up and try some some different faces out there and see if they give us a different result. Which, I mean, seems obvious, but you know.
2: Whatever it was, keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. Because
0: it it may not have produced like a million goals or anything, but it was definitely the most effective that power play has looked all season, and I don't think it's close.
1: Hey, even the one they didn't score on, they had five scoring chances, so yeah.
0: it's, it it, 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 I mean, it,
1: what they were doing was working well.
0: And that was something that Nathan McKinnon actually referenced in in post game too. Was like, I mean, it, it was good that the power play was clicking. I mean, it's a shame we only got two of them, but that's the way it goes sometimes. With how this season has gone, I wonder if um, that's kind of like a, a, an effect of guys starting to figure out that okay, I can't just reach out and hack at wrists anymore. <laughs> Colin Wilson, Blake Como. <laughs> Matt Nieto. Matt Nieto. Four times in like a week and a half. But the uh, penalty kill, on the other hand, has also been a little bit porous again lately. Had a had a bad week, had a good week, and now it's had a bad week.
2: And it just got a lot worse, too. <laughs> yeah. With all the injuries.
0: Yeah, lo- losing JT Comfer hurts. Um... Because he's a strong defensive player. Um, Tyson Jost has been getting some time on the PK as well. Uh, Patrick Nemeth, obviously, as well. I mean, uh oh. Because guess who's coming up next week? The very next game. (laughs) Hi there, Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. Can you. um, Why don't we replace the puck with a potato on your power play, just to make it fair?
3: All they do is play stars. That's all we ever uh-huh. see.
1: <laughs> yeah, I thought that's that's kind of funny that the the rampage play the the Texas stars three times, and now the Abs play the the big stars on Tuesday.
0: <laughs> if anybody from Texas gets called up between now and then, the the guys the Abs called up are gonna just be like, "What the hell?" Oh yeah, <laughs> I thought I got away from your ass. <laughs> So let's go ahead and turn to Stars and Scratches, um, who has impressed you this week. And I'm going to jump out ahead and go first with the obvious Alex Kerfoot with his three-point night against St. Louis. Uh, More, please. Thank you.
1: Yeah, that was interesting because that was his first game at center. And he, you know, he, he did well in the middle, and I wasn't sure he would be able to.
2: Yeah. Let's not discount his Nashville game, too. He was one of the ones that actually generated a bit of offense.
3: Yeah, he's been one of my favorites since camp, really. So it was nice to see him get get on the scoreboard that actually counted. I'm still a little bit salty that <laughs> he should have another goal and assist. But <laughs> uh, but he was, yeah, he was really good in in that game. And even though it was kind of a gift when Hutton completely vacated his net. Um, I think they made a good point on the broadcast that he had he turned his stick to the backhand. Like he knew he was gonna have to shoot it that way. Yeah. So
1: I mean he and, and the good thing it, it just shows more versatility. Um you know I, I think until we get sort of 20, 40, 60 games into his career we're really not gonna sure you know who he is and, and how long he's gonna stick around. But it's just the more you see of Kerfoot, you're just like this guy is is definitely an NHLer in my eyes right now. I mean, it's you know you, you just can't believe this is a free agent that the Avs somehow recruited this summer, and he steps right into the lineup and looks fantastic. I mean, th- this kind of stuff never happens to the Avs.
0: He's got three goals and two assists for five points in his first eight NHL games, and. Um, obviously one of them was a bit of a, bit of a gimme, a bit of an act of God, and we'll take it, because it definitely replaced one that he should have had instead.
1: Yeah, hard work you made that goal too, you know?
0: Yeah. Hard work and a crazy little corner in the boards. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> A.K.A. Calculated. <laughs> um, so
3: who else do we want to have on the, on the good list this week? <coughs> So like Tyson Berry, I know, um, I know a lot of people have been pleased with his play so far. Um, you know, other than maybe one, one mistake he made the other week back, I think it was on the penalty kill. He didn't, he didn't tie up the guy in front. He's, he's been pretty solid defensively. He's moved the puck well. I, I don't know offhand how many points he has, but, but it's one of the, I know he's up there with the other bigger names. Um, he's probably maybe, would you guys say, been the most consistent defenseman on the Avs so far this year? Yeah, I I would say so, so,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, I I think what we're seeing now is he's finally sort of integrated himself into Nolan Pratt's defense, and Nolan Pratt has sort of figured out what he has to do to make Tyson successful, and, and sort of that relationship being good and solid now it has has really made Tyson um, very consistent and productive again. You know, he, he really had a down year last year, but, you know, we, we know what he's capable of offensively. So it's, you know, I, I think the people that are still sort of down on Barry saying, oh, he can't play defense. Oh, he's, you know, he's not that great of a scorer or whatever. You're just like, you know, look at these games. Look what he's been doing in, in the abs – start to the season. I mean, he's, he's really playing fantastically.
2: And he's finally in a position to succeed. He doesn't have to play with Holden on his left side. He doesn't have to play with a rookie on his left side. He had Nemeth on his left side, a very defensively responsible player. Of course, we'll see where that is now with how Nemeth is doing, but that was a really good spot for him to be in and just do his thing.
3: And that was going to be my next question is, how much would you attribute that I would maybe not success, but comfortability to playing with Nemeth, who he doesn't have. He has just over a hundred NHL games experience. So it's not like we're talking about a a, a veteran here, you know, and more the way you would typically think of one. But but he has been a very solid partner for Barry.
0: That's funny that all three of us were going to make like the exact same point at the same time. <laughs> um but I mean it it's been kind of cool to watch how those two work really well together. Um when when Nemeth is on his game, he obviously has his brain fart moments where he just kind of disconnects and watches. We we've, we've seen that a couple of times as well. Um so you you can see where some of the frustration with that player in Dallas may have been. But When he is, you know, when he's engaged in the play and when he's able to play his game with Tyson Berry, they've they've worked together well. They've really um, accentuated each other's strengths very well, and they've been um, the numbers back it up dramatically that they have typically been running away the best Avalanche pairing.
1: Yeah, I mean, Berry plays a ton of minutes, not only with Nemeth but with you know with basically everyone else too. his numbers with Bigra are okay. I think the game that Nemeth missed, um, Barry, I, I think Bigra did a, a fair job with that, even though the, the game didn't go that great. Um, you know, he's he's played with Barbario a bunch. He's you know he's usually in about the twenty-three minute category, and so he ends up playing with just about everybody. And and I, you know, I, I think his ability to play with everybody um, is is also something that that makes his start impressive.
0: He's not about to kill penalties regularly, unless I mean, if he is, you're, there's a reason that you don't want that to be happening. Um, so when when the penalty kill ends, his partner may need a rest, and so he gets the kind of leftover pairing with the other defender, usually Barbario, but also Bigraw, who wasn't on the kill and also was fresh. So I mean, that's just kind of the the leftover fresh pair that comes out after you've killed the penalty. That's where a lot of that comes from, because he's not. If he's killing your penalty, you're in trouble. We've seen that.
1: Yeah, I mean, a couple of times he's been out there on the peak.
0: Happened. It's, you know, it's not great. It's, it's 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 not a not a situation. Um, do we have a third name outside of Tyson Berry?
2: <sighs> I mean, I'll say a name I never thought I would, and Blake Como.
0: Okay. Go I thought on. he
2: had he had a great blues game. He was playing with the energy that he needs to play with in the Av's bottom six. He had a couple of really nice hits. Obviously he got the goal, which was a little bit lucky, but he was working hard in the offensive zone on that shift, and it was just a style of play that he needs to bring every single night.
1: Yeah, if he's playing like that, then you know, the fourth line is fantastic.
0: Okay, I mean, I'm I'm willing to throw a, a nod in his direction when he plays well, and I think that you're right. He mostly did this week, so that's I'm not going to argue with you. One
2: I think, time only; it'll never happen again.
1: <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I just think he he gets ragged on way too much for what he does and doesn't do. I mean, I mean, he he's no more disengaged than any other player on the ice. I, I just I don't see where a lot of the vitriol comes from.
3: Maybe the mistakes, they're easy to... The penalties the mistakes, they're easy to point out,
1: but... I mean, he's, he's not the, you know... He's not as bad as Nieto in that category, so... Um, but I'll
3: agree, too, that he's been solid. If I was going to think of a third name, maybe Landeskog, and for some reason, he seems very polarizing to a lot of the fans, I think some fans still want to see more offense. He still could shoot the puck more, but I think he's been pretty consistent.
1: Yeah, he's found a role that he's really good at, and he's, he's, you know he's been killing it.
0: Everyone wants him to be that high shot volume net crasher that he was his rookie year, and he's just not being utilized that way. He's yeah. starting in the wrong end of the ice. He's Dragging around a couple of new players, and they're performing well. They're getting out of those holes. Like this is not the same kind of hockey that Gabe Landeskog has been asked to play for the rest of his, like for the entire duration of his career. This is different. This is very much, hey, good luck, and he's doing okay.
1: Yeah, he's playing a lot of minutes. I mean, he's usually. I I, I don't know what, what the Season-long tally is, but I would guess he's about third or maybe even second in total time on ice. And I, I think he's obviously slimmed down over the summer. He looks much faster on the ice, and he, you know, he he seems to have a a lot more ability to, to play sixty minutes hard. And you know that that's just that's something the Avs haven't had from him, and it, it's, it's it's a huge
3: help. And he sets the tone a lot physically. Sometimes he goes out there. He's the only one that's hitting. And especially in those games where they kind of have to grind it out more against some of the heavier teams. And and in the games that they actually look decent doing it, it's usually because he set the tone and got them started in that direction.
2: Yeah, and it's it's going to remain that way indefinitely. Now, with Confer and Joe's doubt, his role is going to be, if possible, even more defensively focused.
0: So, um, it doesn't seem to have uh, average time on ice. It doesn't seem to have time on ice per game. But he does Gabe Landeskog per course. Good on hockey does have the uh, highest time on ice among abs forwards. He's third behind Eric Johnson and Tyson Berry. And he has a full sixteen minutes, so a full two minutes per game on the next closest forward.
3: Yeah, yeah, that definitely matches the eye test.
0: He's out there constantly.
1: I th- it, he's if 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 a forward is over twenty minutes, in, it's gonna be
3: Gog and maybe McKinnon.
0: It's uh, Gog, Renton, and McKinnon in that order. Yeah.
3: I was gonna say I, I'm pretty sure Miko had 21 minutes in that Blues game. They played him a lot, but That's but yeah, not
2: gonna last.
0: <laughs> no, but then when when you drop it to just even strength, Landeskog loses his position on that list. He drops down to eighth on the team. So let's see, is it the power play or the penalty kill? Because I'm suspicious it's not the power play, but it might be.
2: It's definitely it, the penalty kill.
1: It's both. I mean, I I, I remember a game where he played over five minutes on the PK and over four minutes on the on the power play. Yeah, then, it's
3: the then uh, I, I have to ask the then who has the most even strength minutes for forwards. The most even strength minute
0: forwards are Miko Rantanen, Matt Duchesne, Sven Andrighetto, Gabe Landeskog, in that order.
3: Okay, that makes sense as the top line. And remember, I Mac missed yeah. half a game.
2: Yeah,
0: because um, of his face attack. Not supposed yeah. to hit face, but it happened.
1: Mac only had two minutes and
0: seventeen seconds in that
2: game. I think. So no sp- penalty though.
0: Nah, it was it was totally a <laughs> hockey play. Uh, we spent a lot of time on good player stories for a pretty rough week. So let's let's get to the scratches. Who are we scratching this week? Yak. <laughs>
1: Quick and forceful. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, this is something that a week ago we were just like. I, I, a week ago we were talking about how good Yakup was playing, and now we're talking about him getting sat in a game where they only had nine other forwards healthy.
0: Which we'll um, come back to.
1: And, you know, I, for, for things to get that dire that the coach is fine with sitting him even though he really needs a replacement, and he really needs a goal at the end of the game. Uh, you know that, that just sort of says how much um, Bednar was trying to give a message to to nail about. You just can't play like this.
0: Well, how how do you expect him to respond, and how do you want him to respond, everyone? I mean, without, not
1: necessarily... without knowing exactly what JB is is wanting him to do that. He's not like, I can see the floating in the defense, soft clears and soft passes and, and, you know, things like that. But, you know, with, without knowing exactly what the coach, without knowing the message he's trying to get across, it's tough to say.
3: Yeah. I was, I was going to say that I can understand why Bedner felt that way about his performance but it wasn't something that we were all noticing him making a bunch of really stupid mistakes or really stupid plays like people have been complaining about Miko most of the time do make doing all the dumb stuff and he goes out there and he plays 21 minutes and then Yakupov maybe didn't have the greatest game but then he, he pretty much sat for at least half the game. I, th- I think he was done early in the second period. So um, I think in the Nashville game, I think, if, if I'm remembering correctly, his Corsi was just awful. What was he at like 21% or something horrifying like that?
1: Yeah, he was worst on the team. It was actually 15 point something.
3: And for as bad as maybe Miko has looked, his percentages have been pretty decent. I'm sure there's a game or two in there that were bad, but. Some of the games where people say, Oh my god, Miko looks like crap and his percentages were fairly decent. So so yeah, I agree with Earl. It's a little hard to say what exactly he needs to do other than obviously just play better without knowing what exactly the issue was.
1: Well, I well, think it's it's it wasn't something that happened in that game. I mean, that was part of it. But this is something I've been noticing for the last few games. It's just um, he's just a little weak and soft in the defensive zone and in the neutral zone. And, and I think his, his time on ice has been going down because of that. And I think, you know, I, I think Bednar has been telling him, look, you know, you you just got to be better at doing these things and, and, and we'll be fine. And he just isn't. And, and, and maybe problem- it's going
3: for the fancy stuff too. If you're going to get on someone for, overpassing, maybe trying to make a cute play too much, I I could look in his direction.
2: Right. The problem there is Yak can't really move up and down the lineup very well. The Evs quote-unquote third line is their shutdown line. You can't put Yak on that line. If you put him on the fourth line, he's not going to be able to produce and do the things you want him to do as an offensive forward. So now he's kind of stuck as be good enough to play in the top six or you find yourself on the bench.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's definitely part of it, because, I mean, honestly, the way that Duchesne's line is used is about the only way. Um, and
0: you're gone. And you're back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, no, I, j- I just don't think that you can use Yak in any other way, but the way that, that Ednar and the staff have been using Duchesne's line.
3: Right. And that gets back to kind of my Grigorenko concern. I know he's not Grigorenko. It's a different, different story type of player but it's just it is going to be the the at what point is is his role and how you can use him it's just you know he has talent you know that he has that offensive ability but if you can't put him in that role then what are you going to do and it was obviously it was great when they were winning and everything looked wonderful and now maybe we're starting to see a concern and I don't know I don't know if he can hold that spot the whole time. The production's been nice, and I don't think they're going to give up on it that fast, but it's definitely a concern.
0: Well, I mean, here, here's my um, <clears throat> my contribution to the Scratch of the Week segment is Bednar for, for deciding that this was the time that that message needed to be sent. Like, like A game, when you come in with a rest advantage, and your forwards are dropping like flies... That this is the time you need to take another one out of the game on purpose so that you're even more tired and your rest advantage against the other team just completely melts away. And you need to score at the end of the game and you aren't able to do so. And you need your offensive players out there. If you want to send this message, you scratch them against against Dallas on Tuesday. That, that's where I come down on it. If you want to send this message, I think you... Make, this, make
2: a healthy scratch in the next game. The- I wholeheartedly agree with that. You made your lineup, you know, it's your bed, lie in it. If he gets the goal at the end, great. If he struggles, then you can scratch him later. But this is your top six, and you have to try and make it work at least.
3: I guess I just want to know what it was in particular that he did so bad that he sat on the bench for pretty much close to 40 minutes of game time. And and I don't know, maybe did he say something? Did Was it something that he was in particular told not to do when he did it? It, it does seem a little severe just for, well, you know, you're playing a little too soft, this and that.
0: And we're not going to know what it is, because what JB tells the media is he was a passenger. Okay. <laughs> Thanks.
2: He didn't even call him out specifically. Like no, he was asked ask. about it. Yeah. yeah.
3: So, and do we do we feel like there were any other passengers? Um,
0: yeah, but I'm going to let you guys go.
1: Yeah, Z was a passenger. Um, he went from 7 minutes in the first period down to 4 and then 4 again in the second and third periods. Yeah, and, was, and I can see that was more of a bad game thing.
2: Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd call him a passenger, just kind of yeah. some bad decisions.
3: I think I he mean, rebounded okay by the end of the game.
1: Because yeah, he was in on that play that, that didn't score
0: it's just hard to to know what it's hard to know. It's hard to know exactly what Bender means by by passengers sometimes because obviously the team had enough fire to strut to to you know charge back and tie the game ish <laughs> like where are, where are all these passengers at what What does a passenger look like to you? It's obvious last season when no one's doing anything, when everyone's watching the puck, and just kind of go, oh, well, we're down by three goals now. Oh, well. like
3: Right, it's the effort question, which I yeah. think gets thrown out way too much, that, oh, these guys aren't giving effort and, and this and that. And it's like, I haven't felt like effort has been a problem this year.
0: No, and I mean, it- is is Passengers the new start the game on time?
1: I think Passengers is more sort of... Um, I think it's more sort of how you're playing inside of the system and inside with your line mates. Because I think that's what Yakupov's problem is, is just um, his puck decisions in the defensive zone, they're just not great. You know, he'll do things, you know, he'll do the soft clear, which we know that, that Bednar hates, you know, get it almost to the blue line. Or he'll make a pass that's almost to his teammate but gets picked off. And just, those are the kind of mistakes that killed the Avs last year, and they really are trying to get out of the repertoire.
2: The problem is you can say the same thing about McKinnon this year. He's yeah. had some terrible defensive clears and passes, totally. but he's Nathan McKinnon, so they're not going to sit him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, Miko's done a lot of that too.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and did, did, I, did you have anything left that you were saying there, Jackie? I feel like I might have cut you off.
3: Oh, I I have a couple more names that I could mention but no on the not on the passenger. Okay. If you're ready for two more I am going to split my scratch if you if okay. you want me to go there. Go for it. I'll say I hate to make it game specific but we only had two games this week. I'm splitting it between Eric Johnson and Duchesne for I the Nashville game. EJ was pretty bad in that the whole game, and and he's been a little bit too up and down this season. When he's great, the, the team plays really well, but they cannot have him play how he did in that Nashville game and expect to win. And then for me, just Duchesne, and Duchesne's been very good this whole season, but him airmailing that puck over the glass, that's what started the the collapse in that game was they were in he had kerfoot just a couple feet in front of him haha no pun intended and and just threw it over the glass like who does that yeah and and then that started the five on three that they got scored on and and there was there went their lead and there was the game It just that was just such a bad brain fart like usually when the puck goes over the glass it's like a it grazes over. This was just a total airmail. Like how they used to do on the PK when you could still do that. It's just it was baffling and I think that whole play was bad enough to be worth at least half a scratch.
0: And he knew it immediately. That came across on the broadcast. He was just, oh, fuck. (laughs) Like he just, he knew it instantly.
1: And I think There's, there's no pressure on him and he had a teammate 10 feet away. I mean, it's just, oh. (laughs)
2: Oof. <laughs> it comes down to the team as a whole one thing that has carried over a bit from last year is when things go bad the wheels seem to just absolutely come off and sure this year they do a better job of pushing back and they don't just quit but they need to be able to stop the bleeding when it starts
3: right like just give up the one goal and regroup and move on don't don't find your game again after you've given up two or three goals yeah i completely agree
1: yeah, like the double goal in Nashville. I mean, it's just that, you know, if they had just solved that after the first one and not given up the second one, whatever it was, 40 seconds later, you know, it's a totally different game.
0: Okay, so that's quite a list for, we we ended up with four stars and four scratches, I think.
3: For two games, perfect. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So let's go ahead and do that reviewed goal. I'm sure you've seen what happened by now. Andrew Ghetto handles the puck as he skates out of the zone, and he's offside, clearly, blatantly, no question. Tags up, comes back in, and hits Miko Rantanen, who scores the game-tying goal. The refs miss the offside, the Blues challenge, which gets the call overturned, no goal. And then, as the NHL would announce the next day, when you actually take the time to read the entire rule, officials, because Sven tagged up, that was not technically a reviewable call. Uh, they got it wrong, and then corrected it by also getting that wrong. Well, well done, NHL. Um, I think goal reviews are hopelessly broken right now. <coughs> and I think the reason for that specific part of that rule is, yes, he was technically offside, but the point of offside is to keep you from getting an unfair advantage, and when you bring the puck back out, you've erased your advantage.
3: So, how and broken I've is seen this? The p- I've seen the point made that well, they got screwed out of the goal, but the play shouldn't have been allowed to continue because it was touched offside initially. But how many times does that happen in a game where there is an offside, but it isn't blown dead? You know, I think it's looking at it too finely that the game isn't perfect all across it. And then something about they weren't playing well enough to deserve a goal, I think that's kind of crap because... You go. I mean, that would have tied the game. How could you say they weren't playing well enough because they would have earned the tie and who knows what would have happened at that point. And even getting it to overtime after how they looked at a certain part of that game would have, I think, would have felt a lot better. Um, And then then there's the question about now you have unlimited offside challenges if you're willing to take a penalty. That was another issue in this where The Blues had already lost, had already challenged and lost. So, if they hadn't changed the rule, then they wouldn't have even had a challenge to challenge this, which doesn't make sense that there's different rules for different penalties and different challenges. Then that kind of gets into what are you trying to do here? So, there's like three separate issues with this whole thing.
2: Yeah, I I take pretty big offense to that last one because it was pretty clear that the Avs did not know that the blues could challenge again. And if you're the NHL and you haven't even told the big heads of each team that this is how it works now, what are you doing?
3: Well, they have, they've, they've put out the press release. I remember reading about it.
2: They put out a press release that said it's now a penalty on a challenge, but I don't remember them ever saying anything about having infinite challenge.
3: Well, I think it, it was implied in there that, that it was a different kind of challenge. You didn't, you didn't need your challenge to do this kind of particular challenge.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's an unwritten thing, because if you lose the goaltender interference challenge, that's a, that counts as a timeout, whereas the offsides challenge is just a penalty, and you can take all the penalties you want. However, I have one simple question that will make this make absolutely no sense, NHL, and that question is, why? <laughs> yeah.
3: I think they made this rule because they thought that coaches would challenge offside less because then they'd be risking a penalty. But that's going to backfire. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of been the opposite. And obviously, we're very early into the season, but I think it, it was the most restrictive when they only had one challenge. And either you, you're not going to use it because you're going to lose that in your timeout, or that that you can't do it again. And so now by saying this particular thing you can challenge at any time, I think they're going to do more rather than less because when they look on the monitor, they're going to see if it's, if it's going to likely go their way or not. Right. They don't just blindly challenge offside without having a pretty good idea how it's going to go. So I think, I think challenges and stoppages and these things are going to go up that, that maybe teams can use their real coaches challenge earlier in a game and then not have to worry about saving it for something later that might be even more critical.
0: And I'm I think it's a miscalculation by the league. I think that coaches value their timeout so highly that they're more willing to sacrifice, okay, well if this ends up being a goal, then we take then we do take a penalty, but oh well, because then it might not be not or it might be not a goal. Because, I mean, coaches will go entire games and not spend their timeout in case they need it later.
1: Like, okay, is... but you can't... Alright, how about this, though? You can't use a timeout
0: after icing anymore. I would be in favor of that.
1: But no, that's you, a thing. you can't. You can that's be the rule now. now. Yeah.
0: Is it... so they don't care about
1: losing their timeout anymore.
3: So, right, then how valuable is your, is your timeout other than to use it how an actual timeout was supposed to be used is to talk to your team and Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Right. Or to so, use it for a challenge, but what can they even challenge at this point other than goaltender interference? I mean,
2: what the whole mess in itself.
3: Right. What else can they really challenge? I'm sure there are other things. I just can't think off the top of my head because
1: it's just what like it doesn't happen. You can challenge whether a goal actually.
2: I don't think you can. I think that's automatically yeah. Don't they look at Toronto, that now? Really? Yeah. Which. Let's be real. How does Toronto not know the rulebook if they're reviewing plays?
3: That's I can understand they,
2: maybe the refs, but Toronto well, should know. There's
3: Toronto reviewing, and then there's just what they review themselves. It It is a whole mess because it seems like there's no standard. There's different situations for different things. We don't even know what they're reviewing. We don't even know. We're not sure. How they look at goals and things like that—it just seems like this whole thing's gotten away from them.
1: Well, just it, it, the broader issue here is that it's confusing for fans, and I think everybody who left the Pepsi Center after that game was just sort of like, "What? You know, what did I just see here? You know, my team probably should have had a point at least." And sending the the fans home like that is is terrible. So right, that's, exactly—that's a
3: failure. You don't want that deciding a game. Yeah, nobody I mean, nobody wants a game decided on something an official decides.
0: Well, well, that and
1: you just don't want to complicate the game so that it's it's incomprehensible to your average knucklehead in the stands. Um, and
2: the problem kind of comes down to there's this whole big unwritten rule about how when you're writing the rules for the refs to enforce, you want the refs to use as little judgment as possible, but. In cases where it comes down to a challenge, if you're Matt Duchesne and you're 15 feet off sides, it's pretty clear to see that that shouldn't be a good goal. But if, in this case, Andrew Ghetto comes back on sides and then scores a goal, why can't we let the refs be able to like use context and say, okay, in this case, it didn't really affect the play?
0: Because it <laughs> yeah, shouldn't it's, have to. It, it's, it's in the rule that him coming back on side and mean it, it meant that it didn't really affect the play. It's codified in the rule.
2: But th- when you bring up all these weird case rules, you get these stupid rulings like this, where a rule is designed to make it. So you can't go off sides five minutes ago, but then it can be used awkwardly in a situation like this.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's the obsession with being right. And in theory, I think people would agree. Yeah. You want the game, right. You want the, the correct winner to be the winner and this and that, but it's, it's impossible to devise a system and rules just so everything is exactly right. And here we have a case where they even reviewed it and it still wasn't right.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I hate review. I, I don't think anything other than went in the net or not should be reviewable. Um, it,
3: it was pretty much as bad as last year when that game against Chicago didn't count, and nobody cared because it was the LOL AVs, like who cares if they get a goal or not, but that they reviewed it, it was clearly offside, and it didn't matter.
2: Well, again, yeah. it comes down to stupidly written rules with all these little cases, like, oh well, he had possession, but he technically wasn't touching it or whatever. You just the rule book either needs to be enforced. To a T by the letter, or it needs it to be rewritten.
1: Or I, I mean, my point of view on this is: is the game happens fast; it's ref it's refed fast, and that's just the way it is. And I'd, I'd rather have subjective calls like this. I, I think over a season they balance out. I just I, I don't see the need for bringing in reviews and delays and and confusing the issues like this because I think it, it was it was a it was an answer in search of a problem. Um, You know, and nobody wants the seventh game of the Stanley cup decided by that, but it's just, I don't think in your day to day games, you need this stuff.
3: Yeah. It's like the judgment call stuff. Like in baseball, nobody ever wants review on balls and strikes Yeah, because that would just, they know that that would just ruin the game and and review for things like the puck crossing the line and things like that, that absolutely, absolutely should be reviewed, but these things now that should be more judgment calls, like goalie, goalie interference, even offside, I mean, I guess basically what we're getting to is offside is a judgment call. It is. And and they should leave that as such.
1: Or replace totally them all should.
2: with robots. Well,
3: it's just, it, it, I mean, offside has always been like
1: that, because it's not called just exactly to the letter. I mean, I see plays that are offside all the time. And everybody does. And it's just, it didn't affect much of what was going on. So it just, you know, they let it slide. And I'm fine with that. I, I just don't see micromanaging the game like this to be a positive thing.
0: It's a frustrating thing. It's a confusing thing. And ultimately what it comes down to is, do you trust the NHL to handle anything at this kind of a level? Because all they've ever shown to me is that they can say, okay, Here's
3: an issue that the game
0: has. Let's make it worse. Yeah.
3: I mean, it should be pretty alarming that they, at the league actually admitted that, that the goal should have counted. Yeah,
2: that's a problem. And
3: when you're at that point, you have to question what's going on. And I know nobody cares because, again, it's, oh, it's the Avalanche. Like, who cares if they got screwed out of a point? Can you imagine if this happened to, like, the Leafs or something and the league actually admitted that, that goals should have counted. You know, fans always say, oh, we were wronged and blah, blah, blah. But to have it written by the league that we weren't just making it up because we were being sensitive fans.
2: It would be on a loop on TSN till today. It still would be going.
3: Right, exactly.
0: If if Toronto lost out on winning the division by one standings point, that would be on infinite loop on TSN in April.
3: Right, and... And I think everyone should be alarmed that that the league actually had to put out a statement about it.
1: So well, I mean, they couldn't ignore it.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, they could. I mean, they, they could. could. It's the they
0: avalanche. Could. They could ignore it. They, no one, when no one said the NHL has to make a statement on this. People can can talk about it. Say yeah, they got it wrong, and it's pretty clear they got it wrong. And we can write articles with you know screenshots of evidence showing of how it was wrong and. We can go on the radio and ex- and explain in graphic detail everything that said this call was wrong. But at no point does the NHL have to say, "Yeah, you you got us, guys."
3: They don't, they don't have and to do that. And then that goal in the Chicago game was just as that review was just as wrong, and they just didn't. No, well, I mean they that just was ignored that
2: one. It was Chicago. So it, it was yeah.
3: Chicago who
0: may have playoff implications versus Colorado. So who cares?
2: And that's a problem in and of itself.
0: <laughs> it, Yeah, but I mean, what what this comes down to is, I mean, does it make you feel any better that, that the NHL announced, hey, we got that wrong?
3: It does, because then, then nobody can just say, you know, you're being sensitive, you know, this or that. It, it is nice to say and to be validated. We know, just like you wrote up that article, I'm sure it felt good to know that somebody said, yeah, you are right.
2: Well, that- could you imagine if we come... 20 games later in the season, extremely similar play happens against the Avalanche. They challenge, and they actually get it right that time. We lose our minds.
3: But, but does it feel good if, if the league puts out 10 of these statements you know, a week? Yeah, we were wrong on this one. We were wrong on that one. I mean, yeah, ultimately it doesn't mean anything. We didn't even get the goal. I would have been happy with just getting the goal because, you know, we need goals so badly. <laughs> <laughs> I'd even take a virtual goal not a and i know that they can't give a standings point and things like that but it would have been nice if maybe they could have awarded the goal but but anyway back to the point yeah it doesn't mean anything that the league said oops or whatever but in this case to actually be validated i think is important does it mean anything going forward probably not cuz nobody really cares that much they're not going to change anything but i just think for us anyway that noticed it and felt like Hey, we got screwed here. It's nice that the league said, you're right, at least. I, as
0: someone who who wrote you know, extensively about that, I don't feel like I needed the validation, but I do like that the statement came out, simply because now the officials have no excuse to get that wrong ever again. The NHL can't put out a statement like, hey, we screwed up this game, without there're definitely being another statement being sent out to all the officials like hey you have to understand this rule.
3: Yeah, and they and I'm sure they will know it now in 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 the reviews in the future. So I guess that's something. You're right. Maybe the officials will will pay more attention and they know that this is the rule now. So maybe it will help some team down the line. I guess that's true too that that it was pointed out by the league that they're going to have to notice.
1: Let me take a different attack here. Let's pretend that the goal was counted, that the Blues challenged, and were awarded a penalty because the challenge challengeable or successful or whatever, and the Avs scored on the ensuing power play and won the game. Um, how would you <laughs> feel?
0: I would feel kind of like this. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But but seriously, looking back on it, I mean it's I I just you know, maybe I'm just too much of a sport or whatever. I just I'd feel kind of hollow about it because oh. I, I'd be okay with the goal, I guess, but it's just like winning a game like that. Just Well
3: seeing... the well the penalty because the original part of the play was offside. So if I were in their position, okay, fine, the goal counts. But then to get a penalty when, hey, you're saying, hey, review this. I mean, do they have to point out exactly what portion of the play that they're risking for a penalty? Yeah. I, I wouldn't feel good about that. So, go ahead.
0: How Again, that mean, go,
1: just, if the abs ended up winning and, like, you know, St. Louis basically got screwed on this because nobody knew the rules,
0: they, that would have been screwing themselves over not knowing the rules.
2: Right. How that rule should go. Is the Blues say, "Hey, we want to challenge Ben Andrgetto was offsides," and then there should be a dialogue between him and the refs where he says, "Okay, he was offsides, but that was before this actual play. Do you want to challenge the offsides after he comes back onsides?
1: Yeah, yeah, we don't know exactly what they challenged. They might have been challenged Miko being offside. or
0: and and the officials don't like they they don't know that until they go into the review. So that has to be the result of the review. That that's where I think the the official has the responsibility, and the outcome wouldn't be a penalty here because the official will come out and say, you know, after further review, the player was offside, but then he left the zone, so the so the call is not challengeable.
2: Right. Exactly.
1: No, but if they challenge Miko going into the uh, zone before Sven went back in or something, like that.
3: Yeah, well, it, then I guess that's they yeah, then they're giving us a free then. power play. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh we would I have just, given up a shorthand and they would have won anyway, right? I, I just I, 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 I have a problem with,
1: I just have a problem with so much technicality involved with some play that, that should be pretty cut and dried. I mean I, I mean I hate that this happened, but in my mind, he you know the, the play should have been blown dead as soon as Sven touched the puck.
0: Yeah.
3: So, it, it should have been. Yeah. And yeah, I and so when,
1: Yeah, when Bednar said the next day that, you know, look the place should have been blown dead, so, you know, we're not going to cry in our beer about it. Um, you know, I, I I kind of agree with that. I just, I, I hate seeing a game de- decided on these technicalities like that. It just, you know, it, I'm, it just sucks that it happened, and... <clears throat> I you know I, I'd like to move on
0: from it. But.
2: I mean, the Blues shouldn't be completely absolved here. They just yeah. straight up quit playing, and there was no whistle. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: exactly. AJ mentioned that on the BSN podcast the other day. It's just like if, if you don't quit playing, then we're not even sitting here. So,
1: yeah, so and that's why it, I, I would it. have no problem with the you know with the goal counting because it's like you know they you know Jackie's right that there are offsides that don't get called and. You know, when that happens, it happens. It's like you you play to the whistle.
0: Yeah, it's just I don't. Bedner's quote is fine. There's that's not Bedner's place. His place is to go out and win the next hockey game. It, yeah. It's then on Joe and the rest of the you know alternate governors and whatnot to then file this complaint in the back of their brains at the next board of governors meeting. Say y'all, what do we do? What
1: happened here, and how can we not have it happen again?
0: Ever, ever again.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it'll it'll take the Leafs getting jobbed or something for for it to come come up at the next meeting. But well, I, mean, I think any,
1: any governor guess the that, sees that can
3: meet to it. Then then they're okay.
0: Yeah, it ended I mean, up being a bigger deal than I expected it to be
3: league wide well, for I, sure.
2: I think it compounded a little bit too for ABS fans, especially because we've already had like four or five other questionable goal calls slash challenges in eight games this year, so...
0: Yeah, right. And and it's not like that's just been Colorado, either. There have been wacky reviews all over the place.
1: I mean, the Kerfoot goal that didn't count, that was just bullshit.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that was...
0: So...
3: Yeah, so I agree, yeah. It's just, it's not like this one weird thing happened in one game. It, it does seem like it's happening at least like every other game where there's some really bizarre review... Yeah, and we really need to move on from this,
0: so I'm just going <laughs> to drop one last little section here of, of my thoughts on it, which is there should be no review which doesn't involve Toronto. That way, there's no way that the official just doesn't get the rule right.
2: This rule yeah. supposedly involved Toronto, though. And, and Toronto got it wrong, too.
0: Well, then then holy crap, pals. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, no so, more
3: mini iPads at ice level. Yeah. I agree with that one. Good yeah.
0: lord. Yep, those are disgusting. Um, It's it's just a real shame that that happened to Miko Rantanen, who's been, you know, he's been kind of an object of both praise and scorn, and and rightfully so on both ends. I'm really struggling with him. He's weak on the puck. He's knocked off of it fairly easily. He's playing with no confidence, as evidenced by his refusal to shoot open shots if a pass is also possible. And at the same time, he's tied for the team points lead with seven in eight games, along with Tyson Berry and Matt Duchesne. Five of those are even primary points. But when you break it down, only one of those points, which is a primary assist, is at even strength. It's a lot of power play stuff. So how do we feel about the season Miko Rantanen is having? Cuz apart from having 7 points in 8 games, which is kind of like a big apart from, like not good, man. Yeah,
1: I mean, I you know, I don't want to say notorious slow starter and give that as an excuse. Um, I I just, I don't know what's up. He's just not playing an assertive game out there and he really needs to be, but he's putting up points and how, you know?
2: Yeah. If we, if we're 20 games into the season and he has 16 assists, I'll be feeling a whole lot better if he keeps up this pace, but defensively and whenever he has the puck, not pretty
3: for me i'm probably not quite as bothered as as you guys are and i would say for me i would tie him with nathan mckinnon because i think a lot of the same issues are are the ones that mckinnon is having as well and them together so that's not to say that i don't agree that that there's soft plays happening and and miko passing up shots which is just just baffling But I think as far as, like, as a whole and how much they could be doing, especially at even strength, I think is kind of the duo of them. And it's the same problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and if you dig deeper into what they do out there, they're matched up against the top line every night, and they do pretty well. So even if they, they draw, you know, even if they don't score, but the other top line doesn't score either, you know, that helps the team more than you would think by looking at the scoreboard. So there's value in that. Uh, Maybe that's just something, you know, they're working through, you know, being a a sort of shutdown line as well as being dependent on to score a lot of points. And that's just something that, you know, down the line they'll be better at. But, you know, I think, I think it's a valid concern that, that Miko only has one even strength point,
3: right? Is it a concern that McKinnon, the only goal he scored, bounced off somebody else's foot? For sure.
0: I think it's less of a concern because I, I at this point in his career, I think it's pretty clear that we need to not rely on Nathan McKinnon to be a goal scorer. He should add goals here and there, but his, his game comes from his assist totals. He's not going to be someone who puts in a million goals for you. He should score some, but with the amount that I expect Nathan McKinnon to score at this point, him going eight games to get one, that's going to happen.
2: The thing is, I think McKinnon should be the type of guy who gets a lot of pad pass assists. Yes, 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 yes. yes. he's he not been shooting the puck enough to
0: get those. Yeah. That's a more valid concern yeah. for me too.
3: Well, McKinnon's goal scoring in general, I think, part of it for me is do they even have the offense to support a 30-40 goal scorer? I'd say no, um, but yes, I agree. His shooting percentage at this point and in his career, in his fifth year at this point, you need to look at, he's not that going to be that kind of shooter that people want him to be. But, you know, it, it also gets into the, is he doing enough category? He's supposedly the offensive leader of the team. Is it enough at this point? Valid concerns. Yeah, I mean it's probably not.
1: Um, But I, you know, I I think the way that that the team is set up, it's kind of scoring by committee, and that's sort of made such that injuries won't decimate the team like they did last year. So if they you lose one or two guys, you're not going to be in big trouble. Um, You know, and I I definitely,
3: I definitely agree with that. I wouldn't want to see mckinnon's having 10 goals right now and and nobody else having more than one i don't want to see that either yeah
1: it's just if you lose the guy that scored 10 goals i mean you're fucked so um i i I like seeing the way that they have three lines that can produce when necessary um and and that that kind of sucks if you want to root for a guy to get 70 80 points it's not going to happen Um, but I think if they can get the whole team into the two twenties, you know, then I'm all for it.
3: And then this is another philosophical point, but do they need to have a person that's the go-to guy, you know, the guy that everyone wants to see wills the team to win the guy that scores at the end of the game to tie it up, you know, you know, the one that appears to be quote unquote clutch. And I I know some people don't. Believe in clutch. I, I think some players feed off of it a little bit more than others. But can they be successful if they don't have somebody that carries the team at times? I think nobody wants one person to carry the team all the time. But do they need somebody to carry them some of the time?
1: I mean, did Kerfoot carry the team the other night with his two goals and one assist? I mean, I, I think you you have a, a whole lot of options as far as guys that can carry the team for one night or maybe you know a bunch of nights over the course of the season. And I, I just I, I like having those options.
2: I mean the guy who's going to carry the team is uh sitting in the blue ice at the back of the the rink, so
0: Yeah. That's a thing. Um but that does kind of keep coming up every time them. And and I think this is just a hockey thing. Like, every time the team loses, there's somebody after the game going, well, where is this leader? Why aren't they leading the team? Why aren't they bringing the team back? Where's their, you know, compete level and all this stuff? And it's just, no, when the team wins, you're not going in and saying, wow, Gabe Landeskog sure led the team to victory in that game, or... I mean, if, I mean, if that, someone it, if someone puts together a three point night like Kerfoot and they come back and win, then you're saying, "Wow, those those three points he really put the team on his on his back." But otherwise, it's there's not that doesn't happen.
2: Yeah, people like to forget that a good team doesn't come back and get carried all the time. They just lead the whole game and win.
0: Exactly. You know, I
1: also think it's sort of you know to use a baseball analogy. Would you rather have a you know count on one or two guys that can hit a three homer to? Win? Singles hitters and you know, you know you can you know drive in a bunch of runs every game but you just don't know how that's going to happen and you know I, I think I'd, I'd rather see a three-run homer every once in a while like how-
0: that that broke up pretty bad for me unfortunately um which means it's, it's on the recording end of it means it's going to be broke up on the show itself but just uh to- kind of restate some of that without it being cut up on the recording. It's it's whether you want to have, you know, several hitters who are going to, you know, get on base for you or a couple of guys who are going to hit hard. Whether you're going to have a couple of people who get multiple multiple point games or a whole bunch of players who can contribute a goal here and there. Which is more consistent. Uh,
3: and I'll say I don't disagree with that, but just the counterpoint is we don't ha- we also don't have that guy that's, you know, the heavy hitter, let's just say. And we don't know what that looks like.
0: No, we don't if have we Alex had, If we, we had have someone same like guys. that.
3: Right. And so it's hard to say if they can find success without it because we, we haven't really seen that in a long time. Yeah,
2: well, and- I, I like the analogy of like a home run hitter, right? When, we ha- when we're hot, when Matt Duchesne's hot, he can absolutely carry the team. But when he's cold, he might as well be invisible.
0: <laughs> Slumping at the plate kind of works the same way. Yeah,
2: exactly. When you're not hitting the ball and everything's going wrong, you're just not producing. But when you are hitting the ball, you're carrying the team. It's one or the other. There is no middle ground with those type of players.
0: Right. And everyone slumps now and again. So re- overly relying on one of those guys means that your team is going to slump now and again. Yep. Ta-da. But we kind of expect the Avs to slump more often than not. Like, all of us came in in unison across the fandom to be like, sure, there's an outside chance of something wild happening, but this team's not going to make the playoffs, right? Right. So why is everyone losing their minds? They're going to win three in a row, and then they're going to lose three in a row. It happens.
3: Because it's hope, and it's... (laughs) When they win three in a row, people like to hope people peoples like to believe that that it's possible i guess I guess you know there's logic and there's what you want yeah, so not- I, I can well, believe it
2: it's It's a little bit recency bias if we started off the season losing three in a row and the, or and then won three in a row now, I think people would be pretty happy with where we're at at four and four, but because we lost the last three, everyone's saying it's the end of days
3: that's yeah. probably true, and yeah. I think. And I think the PTSD from last season, you just don't know. Is this the cliff?
2: <laughs> well, the, I think the injuries are what triggered that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm,
3: I'm yeah. trying to drag
0: us to Randy's question, um, which is, with, with most of us accepting the playoffs aren't going to happen, does missing the playoffs benefit the ads or would, wait, would making the playoffs help them more? And I, I think everyone can probably have an answer to this question. Uh, I don't want to go first. Who does?
3: Okay, I'll I'll just go. I have a spiel <laughs> about this. I would say no. It does not benefit them to make the playoffs. And I I think when you say that, people think you're you're saying like you're rooting for them to lose or something. Yeah, but, picture of
0: winning in our locker room.
3: <laughs> right, and and I definitely feel like they need to improve. They need for me the playoffs is never a goal it shouldn't be a goal now and it shouldn't be a goal in the future playoffs is what you get when you build and you play the right way so nobody wants another miracle year it would be fun but we know the consequences of it even if the front office has kind of figured out you're not one piece away regardless but even if, they had made the, even if they do make the playoffs, they're going to start thinking they're further along than they are in certain areas. And what I think they need is they need solid improvement, and they need to improve year after year. That this up and down, or getting worse every year, or playoffs is nice, and then you don't make it the next two or three years, that's not doing anything for your young players if anything that's confusing them they're not understanding why were they successful then why can't they do it again because it raises the bar when you're successful you you've got to go out and you've got to do better so here if it's artificially high then they feel like they've got to do better than that and then they can't and they fall short and we go back through this cycle so i think they need to do better they need to show improvement in certain things but people are just looking at the playoffs. It's, don't even think about that. If, if it happens or if it doesn't, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to say right now, no, I hope they don't make the playoffs. Because I don't know what they're going to look like by the end of the year. Is, is it likely that they are going to improve so much organically that they make it? Probably not. But I would focus on that. I don't even think playoffs should be talked about whatsoever. I think they need to score more goals. They need to consistently be better in possession. They also need to keep building the the organization and in at every level, then worry about what, you, what your reward is down the line.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. When I you know, I, I, I've I've been looking at this season as sort of the first half of next season and that the, the goal should be probably to be good enough to make the playoffs in two thousand nineteen. Not this year. Um, you're sort of this year. You're sort of setting yourself up, learning, um, figuring out kind of what you need to do over the summer to get better, to make a playoff run in 2018-19. But this year, you're just you're really learning about what you have on the team and uh, down in San Antonio and in the pipeline, and and just sort of figuring out what you really have as an organization and you know i just I, I don't see a lot of upside from you know losing a first round series and then picking 19th or something like that
0: yeah this isn't an incomplete team this is an incomplete franchise when you when you look top to bottom you say okay who are the prospects coming to save the day um well there there's Kale McCarr, um, and then i you got like a giant gap before you have any more names right like this this is a team that needs pieces at every level it doesn't the, yeah. the development has just not had the, the players in it that it needs and if you sacrifice draft position to try to develop a a winning identity right now have these Half these players are going to be elsewhere by the time Colorado reaches their cup window next. Half of them, at least. So
3: what's and, the point? And just making the playoffs is still mediocrity. It's not accomplishing anything.
0: Right. It's still Being, over half the league.
3: Yeah. That there's so many teams that are going to be in that playoff bubble. It doesn't mean anything. If you're not, if you can't count on consistently getting one of those division slots. You're not accomplishing anything. You're still a mediocre team.
0: So to to piggyback off of Earl's statement just a little bit, I think we overuse, as fans and hockey media especially, overuse the idea of a team having an identity. But this is a season for the Avalanche to figure out what their identity is. We usually say this team doesn't have an identity when what we really mean is this team sucks. Um, But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we watched Colorado last season, and we had no idea what at any point what they were trying to do, <coughs> Be- which is that's your team's identity. How do you want to play? How are you going to win hockey games? And the answer to that last year was so... – Well, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> so I-, I think this year is about figuring out who are you, how do you win, and then we still are going to need those extra pieces to to join – to try to make a real run at it, as Earl said,
2: for the 18-19 season. I'm a little bit more on the fence than you guys, I think. From an organizational standpoint, absolutely. We need high draft picks. We need to fill out our prospect pool. But for the young players, especially like Confer and Jost, these guys who are supposedly super character guys, have all the intangibles as well as the NHL skill, I think it does matter a little bit, not necessarily to make the playoffs, but, you need to compete. We can't just get completely tanked again or else everyone's going to be super down. No one's going to know what they can do to fix it.
3: Oh, I completely agree. They need to have improvement and and for the guys, they need to feel like they're accomplishing something. Yeah, no. I mean, the worst thing would be for them to just tank it again. And if you're just looking at a draft pick Perspective. That's what some people want. And as much as I even value the draft picks, I don't want that. You know, I, I want to see improvement, something that they can be proud of, something that they can accomplish. But it's not just meaningless, empty kind of like points. I want to see them improve in goal scoring, in possession, in structure, in, in the way they play the game. And I think that would be so much more beneficial for them to hold on to to say, hey, we got 80 points or something. You know, we can do 90 next year. I think that is just so much more valuable than, hey, we made the playoffs. Yay.
0: Yeah, it's we're not all in for Dolan at this point. We're, we're trying to see the team improve. But, well, but this, we, we didn't we go
2: 0-7 like the Coyotes.
0: Yeah. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I'm, I am glad that we aren't completely in unison on this one. That, that 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 Ruto does have a, a a slightly different nuance in his opinion on this than, than everyone else does. So um, it's a good question. And I think it's one that needs to be addressed multiple points of every season, like is making the playoffs beneficial this year or not?
3: Well, it, especially if they had, if we're, if we were sitting here looking at say five and one or not five and one, but um, you know, like seven and one or something, would that answer have been different,
0: not for me, it and wouldn't. it might have
3: been
2: that that depends massively on if the front office could stay the course or not,
0: and they have never shown the ability to do that yeah <laughs> yeah, so I, mean, I, I was trying not to be irrationally exuberant
1: last week on the podcast, just because you know the the record was quite a bit better then and you know i'm still sort of like 76 78 points that's kind of where i'm looking if it's better great but it's not necessary for what we need to do
0: down the road so continuing to truck right along very rapidly and quickly through our topics today uh the abs did sustain (laughs) some injuries against st louis uh jt confer blocked a slap shot with his thumb and broke it uh, Tyson Jost and Patrick Nemeth both suffered some kind of undisclosed injuries. I, I believe both are lower body. You can interrupt me and tell me I'm a liar if I am. Um, but I believe both are lower body. And today, as we record Sunday, the Avalanche have made it official that they're calling up Gabriel Bork and A.J. Greer. You all watch a lot more of San Antonio than I do, so what can you tell us about the kind of season that Bork has been having, and how has Greer looked coming off his concussion, and how did the Rampage manage to win all three games this weekend while we're on the subject?
2: so Because it sounds Bork? like
0: the answer to that last question is magic.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for Gabe Bork... It's not even about how he played this season. It's just him and his play style is basically at the NHL level a defensive specialist. And it just made sense. That slots right into the role that Confer was playing for the majority of the time with the Avalanche. It's not going to be the same, but he can at least help make up for that hole on the penalty kill.
0: Right, and you and I were this on the Discord. Shout out to our Discord.
3: And you know what you're getting with Bork. It's not even performance bait based at all, I think. I mean, he's been fine, but you know what you're getting. And with him being the last forward cut, it was kind of obvious that he was probably going to be their preferred, kind of like de- defensive guy. And he's someone you don't need to dress every night, too. They could rotate him in Nieto, or they could just sit him and play Nieto, and and they're fine with Bork there.
1: Yeah, he's he's a guy that the staff knows what to expect and that he's going to be fairly consistent in what he gives every night. So that was kind of a slam dunk. Um, Greer played his first two games of the season this weekend. And, you know, he, he, he looked a lot different than he did in preseason. Everyone that thinks he was going to go around and punch everybody in the face, that didn't happen. He had two wonderful assists, one in each game. And, generally played a very responsible game, looked great passing the puck out of the zone. He drove play and made whatever line he was with on the ice much better. So he was kind of back to being what we saw last fall with the Avs, and I'm pretty excited to see what he'll do with the NHL team now.
3: I think it was definitely much deserved. I mean, maybe he was on the short list because it seemed like they kind of ticketed him to play in the NHL this year. But, you know, if you want to say if his preseason and injury set him back and was, was two games enough for him to show that he, he's ready to come back, I think that's a fair question. But I think, I think he definitely deserved it in his play. He played really well. And I think, I think they need him to kind of keep the youth movement going.
2: Yeah, I the only person I would say that was competing with Greer for that spot based on the three games this weekend was Tony Moe.
3: Definitely, and he played really well, especially today. Which you know, kind of too bad after the decision point, but he's another one. Did they did they have two slots for kind of two rookies that maybe they wanted to play? Maybe they more had one slot and one kind of veteran slot and. Maybe Toninato needs a little bit more time in the AHL, like Greer's more experienced professionally, even though he's younger, but he has a lot more professional experience. Might have been a little too early for Toninato, but kind of looking at him progress, he's progressing pretty quickly, so he might be kind of the next one to get a look. I just hope they my big worry was that they were going to default on kind of like an Agasino, Grimaldi. I don't know. Just for me that kind of would have been like the worst kind of call up. And I know a lot of people would disagree because those guys have some offensive ability. They have some energy, but to me, that just would have been a step in the wrong direction. And I'm really glad they didn't do that.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm like a number one Agazino fan and I would not have preferred to see him come up over either of these two. Yeah.
1: And, and Toninato I'll agree with both of you he he looked fantastic over <laughs> and um he you know for, for everyone that watched him a little bit in the preseason um he's definitely progressed since then um, he's you know he's he's driving play probably as well as anyone on rampage right now he's he's <clears throat> probably their top center if you ask me um I I think he does need more seasoning. I think he does need a little more pro experience before you'd wanna see him on the avalanche. So, you know, maybe sometime past Thanksgiving or, or Christmas, um, you know, he's gonna be ready to come up and, and he can actually do some stuff at the NHL level.
2: He'll see games this year, I think for sure.
0: Yeah.
3: Definitely. I thought that too, just because him signing and this and that, that they'd give him a look, but but in seeing especially this weekend it's it's not without merit that's for sure
0: so what happened this weekend um, what happened <laughs>
2: the rampage of the greatest team in the AHL based on <laughs> pure luck
0: book it yeah <laughs>
1: they they got outshot in the three games 100 to 62 and oh! outscored and outscored the opponent you know theoretically what was it 12 to th- 12 to 4 um, really, eleven to four if you take out the shootout goal. So, how much holy shooting season percentage season? and relying on your on your goalie. <laughs> yeah. How much?
0: How much of this is is score effect? Do you think?
1: Well, I, I mean, last night's game they scored uh, five goals in six and a half minutes. So that was kind of a breakdown by Dallas. <laughs> Rip.
2: The problem um, is the other two games there was never more than a one goal lead,
1: <laughs> yeah, um, you know, i I'll just say that i I don't agree with the way that he constructs his lineups or the way that he you know tends to coach as far as sitting on leads and and not really being aggressive taking leads uh, but but Spencer Martin had a hell of a weekend um And it's really good to see him sort of back to where he was uh, before he fell off the cliff last January. So I'd honestly say if we need a third goalie right now, he could probably start being in the conversation for someone that won't totally screw up.
2: As much as I hate the Blues scenario, I think so competing with him has been great for him.
3: Yeah. 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 Maybe. Maybe if that's it, because like, he's he has outplayed who. So out, who hasn't been bad, but I think if if you're just looking at who's played better, I, I would say Martin. I mean, if that was it, if the competition is what he needed to help him, then then yeah, it's great because cause I think that's one main takeaway is that Martin has looked really good, and it could it could have been a lot worse if he wasn't playing really well. Yeah. And I also want to go back to what Earl said about the lineup. I think people that maybe don't follow or watch the Rampage might not quite understand how large of a storyline this is. And maybe those who think that that you go down and you get top minutes if you're a prospect and you put on the first line because you're better than the other bums down there. And it doesn't work that way. And just the way the lineup has been, it's almost amazing that they have one because – uh, it, it's, it's truly baffling, and I don't, you probably don't want to take too much time to get into it, but I mean, you've got Colburn in a top six role ish. Maybe he's kind of been moved down now. You've, you've got Avs prospects that aren't hardly seeing any time. Um, they started Greer on the fourth line. He played a lot more than that. I would say the game that they collectively looked the best offensively was yesterday when they kind of had more of a real. Avs feel to the lineup, and maybe that's bias, but that is the game they scored the goals in. Um, it, they're just playing the Blues prospects a lot, which you know none of them are bad. Um, I think they've played pretty well, but then they're also playing these AHL veterans like Vogelhuber and Ranford way too much. I think they're asking way too much out of Grimaldi and Axino. It's just it's really questionable what they're going to do with this lineup and what are they going to do with guys like Nantel who need playing time and he seems to be sitting in favor of God knows what. Um, It's just, it's a, it's a real concern. I think at this point, despite the winning rampage fans are thrilled to see wins. I'm sure who wouldn't, but when the winning stops and they're still left with this kind of lineup, it's It's going to be very interesting,:
2: yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone would deny when you're shooting like 20 percent across a whole weekend that's not going to last.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're telling me there's a chance <laughs> uh, we're uh, We're getting dangerously close to the unforgivable mark of length here, so let's go ahead and move ahead to next week. Uh, three games for the Avs, including some schedule weirdness. On Tuesday, they're back in action finally at home against the stupid Dallas Stars, 7 o'clock mountain. Then on Friday, Colorado traveled to Vegas to take on the Not Aces. That's a 4 o'clock mountain start. I don't know why.
3: Nevada Day, that's
0: why. Woohoo! What does that mean?
3: <laughs> uh, a lot of people have the day off for something, which why they chose 4 p.m is a good question.
2: Because the Nuggets play at 7 and Kronky pushed his hand.
0: <laughs> that is a believable conspiracy theory right there. Then, on Saturday, Colorado turned around and traveled back to the Pepsi Center for a back-to-back date with the Chicago Blackhawks, again at 7 Mountain. All games are on local broadcasts this week. What do we always say? How many points? Go. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh. I have to decide if I want to be optimistic or not. Um 3
0: points. 500. Yep. So you decided to neither be optimistic nor not be optimistic.
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I yeah, I, okay, well to break it down, that Dallas game almost feels like a must win, which is ridiculous to say for this point of the year and for this team. But getting into losing four in a row, it's into icky territory. They kind of need to win at home, (laughs) need to stop the losing streak.
0: I needed a title for this episode. Thank you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. I finally got a title. Um, And then the back-to-back. I always feel like the back-to-backs tend to split. They haven't looked good against Vegas. I know they won that last preseason game, but... Something about the way Vegas plays, I just does not seem to suit the Avs. And I think they're gonna lose that one and then go back to back, come home and beat the Blackhawks like they always do when the Blackhawks think this is just a LOL game. And and I think that's what's gonna happen. So that Dallas one for me is the one that's real up in the air. So I'll say that's the one they're gonna get. Get like a loser point in or something like that. I should also point out that that the back-to-back proceeds yet another four-day break, Ugh. and they will have, I think, three more four-day breaks before the end of November.
0: Well,
2: Thanks, Sweden.
3: Yeah, one one of them is before Sweden,
0: and one of them is after Sweden. So that's part of it.
3: But yeah, so they they play back-to-back, and then they're they're off for a long time again. So anyway, that's the way I see I see the week. The real swing game is the Dallas game. Okay.
1: I'm going six points. Book it. Think, I, I think Dallas has been winning way too much. I think Vegas has been winning way too much. And, or, you know, we got their number.
2: Okay. I'm going to go with five points. Uh, we're going to take Dallas to OT and lose. Then Vegas' starting goalie right now is Oscar Dansk. So.
3: true. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That- <laughs> But, you know, we lost to Carter Hutton, so... (laughs) And that hasn't mattered for Vegas, either. Like, they won their last game starting Malcolm Subban.
2: And then Subban got hurt in that
3: game. Yeah. Yeah. And he's going to be out for a while, if you all haven't heard. And
2: then Varley's going to do Varley things against Chicago.
3: Yep. Yeah. That's That's, that's uh, a book it. That's a book it. That's a cool story
0: for Malcolm Subban, by the way, who's a guy who's like... Basically, no one gave a real NHL chance to because he's just so small, but that's a cool story for him to be up in the NHL winning games, whether it's through magic bullshit or not.
3: And then it lasted a week.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that dreams part's not so beating. cool. But hey, don't let your dreams be dreams. <laughs> And then I am going to come down on the four points of the spectrum. So I'm on the lower half of us, somehow, by picking two wins out of three.
3: Yeah, I guess I'm the pessimist this week.
2: Zero points incoming?
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, zero <laughs> points is definitely incoming. No, it's, it'll be four this week.
3: Which Four.
0: Dallas, because fuck you, and I hate Dallas a tremendous amount. And Vegas because they have they they can't live like this forever, and there's gonna be a games here and there where it just doesn't work. So this will be that that lucky game for us against them. Uh, I I don't I don't know if the Chicago number having curse is still gonna be a thing anymore. That's that's been too spooky for too long. So I'm calling Chicago's a loss, but Dallas and Vegas, thumbs up. One of them may
3: take time.
0: I don't know. I don't care. And those thumbs up.
3: The, those spooky ones tend to be in Chicago, but I'll I'll believe for this one.
2: Well, the Pepsi Center is a lot like the United Center these days. So uh,
3: yeah. uh, uh.
0: Everybody, come out to that to that game and shout the Blackhawks fans down, please. Thank you. Hmm. This is not their house, no matter what they think. Um, so we have taken up entirely too much of your time with this show. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you to Earl, Rudo and Jackie for giving me a huge chunk of their Sunday evening. Um, you can always catch the latest episodes of the show at burgundy-rainbow.com or on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundy or or Burgundy or slash Burgundy Radio that is SoundCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio if you go to Burgundy Rainbow you're going to be confused by the nothing that you find or you can go to Mixcloud.com slash Burgundy Radio or follow us on iTunes or in your favorite RSS catcher um, you can always catch the show on Twitter at Burgundy Radio where I don't necessarily tweet too much but you can definitely reach me there and I will be able to get your question or comment or whatever much more easily than basically anywhere else or you can join the Burgundy, Radio, Burgundy Rainbow Discord which you can find Link to on the home page three games this week earl thinks that means three wins so we're gonna keep our heads up and keep our eyes open and see if that happens take it easy it that's gotta
1: be it. the thing is this is like centuries ahead of what what they do on ahl live jesus
2: <laughs> 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 oh, my what friends
1: and I used to sell good. This is Dan Weiss high atop the ice of the Jessica Redfield
2: dress <laughs> <laughs> The fact that we got any audio at all is a miracle, half the
3: time.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
3: <laughs> but not replay. That's
1: no,
2: never. <laughs>